short-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government hug the government love. The government hug the government love. Welcome to the Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. I'm joined today by my conservative counterpart. I almost forgot who my conservative counterpart was today. It's been a long week, folks, but it is, as it was for the regular show, uh, attorney and former deputy assistant to President Trump, May, ma'am. May, thanks for being here. Thanks, Mike. I can tell we're going to have a great show. Yeah, you, you may have to rescue me from time to time here. If that opening was any indication, I will try to be better. Anyway, there was a lot we didn't get to in the regular show uh, between everything we had to say about Medicare price negotiations, and then my extended rant on the 10th Amendment, where I appreciated your support. But anyway, a lot we want to get to, starting with Donald Trump's trial dates. We now know that his trial on charges brought by special counsel Jack Smith concerning those alleged efforts to illegally overturn the result of the 2020 presidential election That is now set to begin on March 4th of 2024, which is right smack dab in the middle of the Republican presidential primary race. It's uh, the day, in fact, the day after the trial is Super Tuesday. That's the biggest day in the primary calendar, has the most delegates up for grabs. And really, after that point, there's a good chance that we're going to know more or less who the eventual Republican nominee will be, especially under how the Republican uh, delegate selection rules work. The prosecution requested that the trial begin in January. uh, And uh, in contrast, Donald Trump's attorneys, I love this one, asked the trial not start until April of 2026, like two and a half years from now, which is, wow, that's a lot. Anyway, um, uh, what do you think about this trial date, May? So obviously Trump's line is that this is election interference um, and it certainly will interfere. But I think actually in the primaries in a positive way, I think every time that Republicans are reminded that Trump is facing felony charges like for whatever electors scheme, um, which if anybody thinks that Trump was capable of like coming up with or sort of executing on an elector's scheme, you do not know uh, the distraction of Donald Trump. But um, yeah, I, I think that it is election interference. And for the, the primaries, that benefits Trump. And, and so do you mean that every every time that the base is reminded of this, they become stronger Trump supporters sort of thing? But not even just the base. Like Trump now has a majority of support among the Republican Party. So if you count the base, who is not going to leave Trump ever as something like 30 percent of the party. And he has gained among people who were otherwise open uh, to their primary candidate. So. I think there is a loyalty element, um, which is people who have voted for somebody twice don't like to see their guy being attacked. Um, but I also think their, um, you know, loyalty aside is a feeling of we've we've got to turn this ship around. There's just something going on. There's like a cancer in the Department of Justice or 
in the deep state generally or whatever you want to label it. And when you sense that attack, you bring your number one fighter in and rightly or wrongly, that number one fighter is Trump. So whenever the attack starts, whether it's, you know, whether you like it or not, like when they attack Republicans, not just the base, turn to their attacker guy and their attacker guy is going to get a boost out of that. Well, you know, I, I wonder, I think I think that logic makes sense to me for the primaries, uh, because the primaries tend to be dominated by by the more fervent folks. And Donald Trump's following is, if nothing else, fervent. Uh, but you know, then I think about the general election. For instance, there was a, a Reuters uh, Ipsos poll uh, done in early August, found that 45 percent of Republicans said they wouldn't vote for Trump if he were convicted of a felony. Thirty five percent said they would. Uh, he, they would vote for him still. Twenty percent weren't sure. But my point being, obviously, that I, I, and I th- I've argued this all along that I think this is something that that may be almost certainly, in fact, helps him in the primary. The last thing he would want is for this to go away in the primary. But I don't see how this doesn't hurt him significantly in the general election. And what do you think about that? That's right. And so just to put it into a context of a Trump versus Biden election, no one is and very few people are going to vote for Joe Biden. Right. Seventy five percent of independents, something like that, think he's too old to have office, a little bit fewer Democrats, more Republicans. And so then you've got this problem with Trump. People think he's corrupt. Forty five percent. So they won't vote for him. I think it's another almost 10 percent on top of that. So they probably won't vote for him. So a majority of Americans won't probably or definitely won't vote for Trump. So nobody's going to go vote for the person. Um, And so the question is, who's going to be able to get out their side to vote against the other guy? And that that I think is actually Trump's bigger problem. It's not the people who won't vote for him, because Biden, I think, has probably an equivalent amount of people who just can't get excited, won't won't wake up that day to go vote for Biden. but. Who's going to wake up and vote against Biden? Very few people. Who's going to wake up and vote against Trump? A lot lot of people. I have seen some chatter in the news that like the black community feels a little bit like um, we know what it's like to be unfairly targeted by overzealous prosecutors. And so there's a little bit of sympathy. So maybe Um, At least in the black community, you're getting fewer people to get out and vote against Trump, maybe. But I still just think if this election is about who are you willing to wake up and go vote against, um, Biden wins again, even though I think they both have equivalent numbers of people who won't vote for them. Right. And so, I mean, that that, I think that's a that's a good way to look at it. It makes makes a lot of sense to me. And I guess it's got to be. I know, in fact, it is deeply frustrating to a lot of Republicans who believe in conservative principles and say, listen, this guy lost the last time. We're going to nominate him again. And he has even more baggage hanging over his head. And so essentially, especially when you take a look at the congressional map, Republicans, I think, have a much better than average chance of retaking the Senate. They're probably, I would say, going to hold the House. And Donald Trump there at the top of the ticket, assuming what happens is what we think might happen happens, that prevents the Republicans from getting their trifecta. 
Yeah, it's awful. So I think there's been, um, I'm, yeah, there's tremendous hand-wringing. I, I think that some people are excited because they just see Joe Biden as such a weak candidate um, that that even people who voted for him in 2020, like your life isn't better, so you know, you're not going to go vote for him again. But it's not about that. That isn't the question. It's who are you going to get up and go vote against? And um, so I've I've seen conversations about like we need some sort of better, stronger primary process or a stronger RNC. And this idea that more voters is somehow more democratic or more accountable or better for, you know, something like that is not it. It has never been the case. It's just. People vote out of spite. They vote out of anger. They vote out of they want to make a joke. Like they they do a lot of things that are not necessarily like adding to the legitimacy of our democracy or the choices before the the people. And so it needs to be a very controlled process how you're selecting your candidate. And it's not anymore. It's like totally uncontrolled. It's just free for all elections in all these states and random orders. And the the process that we have given ourselves in a primary is going to select candidates that might not be able to win. And Republicans have done nothing but lose the popular vote time and time and time again. So it is a frustrating time, I think, to be a Republican. Um, and what do you, you know, what yeah, are you going to do about it? Like, I, I mean, I, no, I agree. I agree. I feel like. Uh, if you look back at the era of the so-called smoke-filled rooms and the party chooses the can essentially chooses the candidate, well, when the process was less uh, democratic, uh, I feel like you can make a good case that the quality of the nominees who came out of each party w was actually better, especially when you take a look at the quality of the nominees in fairly recent years on both sides. And so I think there's we have this assumption, at least a lot of us do. That if we make a process more democratic, we make it better. But oftentimes what happens is it's not really more democratic. It's it's more open. But all that means is that extremists on both ends are better able to manipulate the process. Because honestly, most people most of the time don't care that much about politics. So you open up the process. It just makes, makes, makes the process more extreme and not really more representative of the will of the people. At least that, that's kind of how I see it more generally. Yeah, I, I agree. And there might be times for just pure, unfiltered, like, I guess, uh, I don't want to say democracy, but like, yeah, a, demo, a, a sort of process that just asks people to vote, whether it's based on emotion or facts or I'm, you know, woke up on the wrong side of the bed or whatever, like there might be times for that. The primary process doesn't seem to be that time because there's so much information you need to take in to even suss out the difference between the candidates. You can't even see it on a debate stage. They, they don't actually get into their policies. And so in order to actually digest the information to put comparisons between the candidates and to pick the candidate that actually represents the viewpoints that are driving what conservatism, what Republican Party is, I think 
it doesn't lend itself to snippets on Twitter and then like either like a caucus or a primary system. It just, it, it, they're not a match. Those two things, they don't match. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, yeah. Well, you know, I, before, before we look more, maybe more closely at the Republican race, I, I wanted to ask you about the trial day, just from a legal, because we've been talking about the politics of this, but what do you think about where the date was? I mean, does it seem like politics aside now, it's kind of hard to put politics aside, but I guess everything considered, do you feel like Judge Shutkin did a set a reasonable trial date or not so much? Or was she in a no-win situation? What, what do you think? So I don't necessarily mind the date. There are 12.8 million documents to sift through. That does seem like a lot. Um, so, you know, that said, I actually don't see this going to trial in March. I, I thought, and I still do think that there are going to be a lot of motions filed, um, to get some legal issues out of the way before we just move facts into the hands of a jury. I mean, to, to ask, what what types even just what type of evidence is admissible how we're going to define jury instructions like just basic trial stuff but then i think taking certain even just trying to get summary judgment on certain counts because they're protected by the first amendment um just i i see the motions and the legal questions and the appeals of those questions taking up much more time before March. So I, I don't think March is bad if we were, if they're just going to go for a straight trial, maybe they are, maybe like <laughs> I'm wrong, but if they end up getting a lot of clarifications on um, like how the first amendment, et cetera, plays in here, which are not for the jury, those are legal questions for the judge. I don't see this as, as going in March anyway. Do you think it, it is, it doesn't go until after the November election. Does you, can you perceive a delay that long? So, like for Georgia, yes, I could. Um, because this trial is a little bit simpler, you only have Trump involved. I guess I could see it, maybe. But, um, you know, I've been on various legal panels on TV. There's not a single other lawyer. There's not a single lawyer I can find who actually did think that this trial was going to happen before um, before the election. That was before Georgia happened. So maybe now they're just really trying to go fast overdrive because the calendar got so full. But um, and and so maybe that's my response is I would have thought no. But now that things are all trying to get accelerated because they're all on top of each other, maybe the answer is now yes. Yeah, I, I, I understand. I guess I'm torn on this because I understand the political arguments for and against delaying. And it, it, there are a lot, I think, reasonable arguments on both sides. But, but I also feel like, especially when we're talking about the prosecution of a former president, especially by the federal government, the federal government that is headed by his likely his likely opponent in next election, that that it's important to be incredibly careful and make sure you get all of these things 
Right. And now I'm not saying that, that that's not me saying that, you know, the, the judge is in any way related to connected with Biden or anything like that, or that the judge should be thinking about that in any direct way. But I, and I get that the law is supposed to be the same for everyone, but some cases are more important than others. And prosecuting a former president on, on these, I just, I just feel like going slow, even if it might not be politically advantageous or cause difficulties, what we're doing with is so monumental that rushing on this, I think, is just fundamentally wrong. We hope you enjoyed this preview of our supporters-exclusive midweek show. If you'd like to hear the rest of the episode, we hope you'll consider becoming a supporter. Supporters get ad-free access to all of our shows, membership in our Politics Guys Discord group where you can join in on the conversation, and other benefits at different levels of support. To become a supporter, go to patreon.com slash politicsguys. You can also support us through Venmo or at politicsguys or through PayPal. You'll find all of our support links in the show notes as well as at politicsguys.com slash support. And if you'd like to get the midweek show, but you're not in a position to become a financial supporter, that's not a problem. Just send me an email at mike at politicsguys.com and I'll be happy to get that set up for you.